This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1 800 858 858. Thorpe is coming in. Gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne, and he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Yes, hello everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, and today. We're joined by a man who gave his heart and soul to the Fremantle Dockers. Hayden Ballantyne played 171 AFL games between 2009 and 2019. He's an All-Australian, a leading goal kicker, a Goal of the Year winner and a Fremantle Life member who had four top ten finishes in the club best and fairest. And we might add, as a hard-working, all-action goal sneak, he was also particularly good at getting under the skin of rivals. Hayden, welcome. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, this chat's primarily, obviously, about your journey to and through the AFL, but give it a few more years and it might be about training Melbourne Cup winners. You're building a nice little stable as a trainer over there in Perth. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, funny you say that at Melbourne Cup winners. When, whenever I do win a race, I tell all the boys to start calling me Bart, so after Bart coming. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite nice to uh, get over there to Melbourne and win some of those nice races. But um, now I've got a nice little team coming up, so it's good fun. All right then, Bart. Is this a passion <laughs> you've always had, and, and where does it have its origins? Yeah, absolutely. My family, my, well, my dad actually is a, is a horse trainer. It's his full-time job, and um, so coming through... Uh, going to the race with him when I was a kid, um, when, once I got to the ripe old age of 12, I started riding track work uh, for, with my old man and I loved it ever since and it actually you know, instilled a bit of a work ethic I suppose and getting up early in the mornings, riding a few horses before school and built built up a fair bit of strength for me as well, upper body strength and core strength so I definitely think it helped me later in life when I was playing footy, I had had uh, had a bit of muscle to contend with some of the bigger players on the on the ground. You're obviously the appropriate size physically. Did you ever consider it as a career option? I did, but if you you look at my dad, he's quite a nuggety type of guy. He's pretty he's short as well, but fairly stocky. So and you know I've I've got those genes as well. I think I'm fairly short, but fairly stocky. So um, yeah, I don't think the weight was ever going to allow me to be a jockey. Fair enough. Well, you, a former teammate of yours, you and uh, Nick Subin, you owned the Perth Cup winner in 2013. I think it was Talent Show that was trained by your old man Graham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. We um, we bought into her. Uh, my dad originally trained it for her first owner, and um, 
he won her first three races and then they separated ways. And then um, a couple of years later, Dad said, this horse is available, we should buy it because I think it'll win the Perth Cup. And sure enough, <laughs> two years later, it won the Perth Cup. So he's not a bad judge, the old boy. And um, yeah, me and Nick <laughs> were lucky enough to get on board with that and we had some great fun with her. Fantastic. And these days, the pick of your stable, would it be Mankind? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's Well, he was my first horse that I trained and he's... Uh, He's won six now for me, mm-hmm. um, so he's he's humming along really nicely, and um, I've only got a couple more that are ready to race, and I've got a few babies coming up, so it's um, yeah, it's something I love doing. I love getting up, get up nice and early, ride um, ride them and work them, and then I go to my nine to five job, so I really enjoy it. Well, if you started track work at the age of 12, when did you pick up a footy? You did that for the Baldivis Brumbies, about 50k south of Perth, I think. When did you start playing footy there? Yeah, I was kicked, so... I, I think it was six or seven you start Auskick and yeah, played pretty much all my juniors at um Beldarvis Footy Club, played a couple of years at Waruna Football Club too, a bit further south. And um and yeah, that that was where it all started for me. I, I was I was always okay at footy. I was a bit of a, a bit of a shithead, I suppose. I used to get in trouble with a fair <laughs> bit and not much change. But um yeah, <laughs> that footy one shot always, too many, I don't <laughs> reckon. Footy always um footy always brought me back to being in line and doing the right thing because if I ever got in trouble I wasn't allowed to play footy on the weekend, so I quickly shafted myself up and stopped trying to get in trouble. Were you always on the shorter side? Well, that's why I always wore number one, because number one was the smallest jersey. And so when I was um, coming through juniors, it was always number one was mine, because I was the smallest kid out there. But um, Yeah, I won most of the best and fairest coming through, but I was always told I was going to be too short to make it, so I was... From a young age, I was out to prove a lot of people wrong. Oh, one of many to do exactly. That's the beauty of the game. Well, you make a real fist of it. In 2005, you get to waffle level. You join Peel Thunder, and, and you're playing as a midfielder. Yeah, that was – I played a couple of years of Colts as well, um, 14, 15 – sorry, when was it? 2000, sorry, 2004, yep. 2005, we played Colts for, um, for Peel Thunder, and then, yeah, 2006, started with the league side, and, um, yeah, playing as a midfielder and – wasn't until about 2008, Muddy Waterman, Chris Waterman, ex West Coast player, he was our coach. Said, "Why don't you try as a small forward?" And probably one of the best moves I've ever made. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. The two-time Premiership player took over from uh, Gary Buddha Hocking, didn't he? And you kicked 75 goals that year in 08. You you won the Sandover Medal and the the Peel Thunder BNF. It was the, the if, if there's a make or break year, that was very much the make one. Yeah, definitely. It was yeah, a bit of got the trifecta. I, I had a really really good year, good consistent year. I was always able to play good games here and there, but that was a solid, consistent year where just you know, every game I just did the same, did the basics right and, and played well. And it was a pretty expensive year for my dad because he said, if every goal you kick, I'll give you 30 bucks. So he was he was regretting that after about round six when I already had about 30 goals on the board. <laughs> and I mentioned the Sandover medal. Wasn't there a dress code incident at the Sandover that year? <laughs> Yeah, so the night before the sa- on a, on the Sunday before the Sandover, um, a lot of my mates um, played in the grand final down the PFL grand final, and they they won. So it ended up being a, a relatively large night. And the next morning, me and me and my partner at the time, we got got ready to go up to the Crown Casino. That's where we were staying for the night, and got up there, and she was getting ready for a couple of hours, and I decided I better. Get, get me suit on and open my suit bag. No suit in there, so I was. It was a, and Mandra's a good hour and a, hour and a bit away. So I was thinking, what do I do? And luckily enough, one of my mates lived just around the corner. Um, only problem is he's a bit bigger than me. I borrowed his suit and yeah, if you do see the Sandover 2008 Sandover Medal Night photos, uh, yeah, it's quite a large suit for me. And not only was it a little large, I, I think is there, is there some subtle pinstripes with that? Was it brown? 
Uh, oh, I can't remember that would end up being a big night too. There's a few, <laughs> few brain cells gone that night. <laughs> um, in April the next year, Peel named the outer wing at Rushton Park the Hayden Ballantyne Wing. That's a huge honour. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah, massively. Um, I, th- I think it was a combination. My my family helped out the Peel Thunder Footy Club um, when they were in a bit of a financial pickle, and then um, winning obviously winning the Sandover and the Best and Fairest, they decided they wanted to do that and. I didn't know it was happening until I went down and watched the game when it was unveiled, I suppose. And um, I looked across. I thought, that, that looks familiar, that name. And I thought, it was, Jesus, that's my name. So it was a bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a um, tickle, I suppose, and a bit of, bit of a nice feeling. It pulled me up if I'm prying too much. But it was mentioned at around that time. I don't know. You never know how much fact is separated from fiction. But your nana won Lotto, and she donated a lot of money to the club. Was that... Is that pretty much how it played out, and that that, that yeah, was their pretty, show of appreciation? Yeah, pretty much. They, um, then like Peel Thunder were really they they were struggling. They were close to close to folding, and um, yeah, Nan Nan was Nan. She's a very generous person. She propped them up for a little bit, and and now they're real realistically they're one of the um, financially powerhouses of the waffle, I suppose. Fantastic. You're listening to this is your sporting life, of course. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives next. Hayden Ballantyne lands in the big league. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible as always by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with former Fremantle star Hayden Ballantyne. Well, Hayden, by late 2008, you're 21 and you're very much on the AFL recruiting radar. Yeah, 2008 was obviously a good season and um, I'd had a chat with quite a few clubs and um, yeah, coming into the draft was quite exciting for me. So you're 21. You'd missed out on two drafts, I believe, prior to this point in time. I mean, how much did the desire to burn make it? And do you think, looking back on it all these years now, did it shape your work ethic as a senior player? You know, that desperation to leave no stone unturned. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I think working, working in the real world. And I was a baller maker welder by trade, and I'd go to work for eight to ten hours a day, then go to training, and I'd just train my absolute ass out off, and just just to try and make sure I gave myself the best opportunity to get drafted and um, that work ethic really really stuck with me throughout my whole career and I might not have won all the races all the all the time trials and all the running at, at Frio but I was right behind the winners and I was pushing them the whole way because I really wanted to win everything I could so that was really pushed into me by not getting drafted I think for those first couple of years. Mm. And, and by late 2008 you're on the radar as we say but you're invited to the WA State screening session ahead of that year's national draft, but were you overseas on a holiday at the time? Yeah, well, I was actually invited to the national draft, and I had to miss it because I had a pre-booked holiday. Right. And, um, it was actually a footy trip, and, and we, <laughs> that had to be a reason. And, and I was, it was all, all, um, all fine with the like the um, draft manager and all, all that, all those guys. They didn't, they didn't have an issue with it. And then I um, <laughs> seen on the internet that. I'm not, not eligible to be drafted because I didn't show up to the screening and all that. And I knew it was all rubbish, but it still it still made me a little bit nervous that I've worked that hard and I could be all gone. But I did my own screening back in Perth and yeah. um, I, was, I did a beep test by myself, which wasn't too fun. And um, yeah, got through in, in relatively good colours. Good footy trip? 
Yeah, brilliant. And there's no such thing as a bad footy trip, I don't think. <laughs> the Dockers end up taking you with their second pick, so you're staying at home, so to speak. It was pick 21, as I say, in the 2008 National Draft. Did you know that they were going to take you by the end, and, and what did it mean to you? Yeah, I, they they said that they were keen on, keen on me with that pick, but West Coast also said they were keen on me with pick 21, and Hawthorne with their first pick, which I think is 18 or something like that. So... There was a few a few clubs um, I had spoken to. Port Adelaide had picked twenty four or twenty five maybe, and um, they were all around that time when I knew I was going to. Well, I thought I was going to get picked up, but when the first couple of clubs didn't call my name out, I started getting really nervous. Thinking, oh no, is this going to happen all over again? But luckily enough, at twenty one, Frio read my name out, and um, there was a lot of happiness and I suppose a bit of emotion, but it was just a bit of a relief as well. Like all that hard work had uh, had. Paid off to get drafted, but then I realised pretty quick that the hard work was about to start. To actually, it's quite hard playing AFL football. Yeah, so you break through and make your debut round thirteen of two thousand and nine. Not a small debut by any stretch of the imagination. You make it on the other side of the country at the home of footy, the MCG, against a big club in Collingwood. What do you remember of the build-up and the game itself? Yeah, I, I was itching for the whole year. I actually had surgery. So I had a broken wrist for two years that I didn't know hadn't healed. And um, so I was playing for a couple of years with a broken wrist. And as soon as I got to Freo, I had to have an operation to fix it. And it took a lot longer to heal than what they thought. So mm. instead of playing round one like a, like Nick Subin and Stephen Hill did, I had to wait till round 13 um, before I got my crack. But once I was over there, the build-up, Obviously, playing against Collingwood in at the MCG, I think there was sixty or seventy thousand people there. It was just, yeah, it was just amazing, and the noise. And I've been to the MCG before as a as a spectator, but you go out to the ground, you just you, you don't realise how big it is when you're on the ground, and the noise that comes from it is just amazing. And my dad, and my little brother, went over there and um, watched the game. <laughs> they, they actually got a bit worried because the, the Collingwood Collingwood faithful were pretty feral, they said, and they were, they were yelling at him for wearing Freo stuff. But uh, just the whole experience was amazing, and a bit I was a bit overawed, I think, by, by the by the experience. But um, I think it put me in good stead to to know what to expect for the rest of my career. You managed actually, Hayden, to get yourself reported before you even got a kick, didn't you? For a late hit on Nick Maxwell, who taken a mark early in that game. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first quarter, and. Um, he he was quite a good roll off defender, and I knew that was going to happen. Mm. He was doing it right in front of me. I said, "Oh, if you're going to mark it, you're going to cop, cop it as well." So I yeah, ran through him with my knee and elbow and everything else I could, and got reported. <laughs> the coach uh, of the time was obviously Mark Harvey. What was your relationship like with Harves? Really strong, really, really strong. I think me and him bonded quite well because we're, I suppose, similar type of people. We're both, um, yeah, both used to play similarly. He was a bit of a bit of a. Um, a hard nut, I suppose you'd say, and really enjoyed the physical nature of football, and I, I do as well. So we got on really well, and I went through all my games with him all the time. And he was someone that gave me the confidence to just go out and play my game. Don't worry about positioning too much. So just there's there's sticks at either end. There's a big oval with plenty of grass. Just go play, and that um that really gave me the confidence to just go out and play my natural game. So you kicked three goals the next week against Carlton. I think you kicked a bag of four against Essendon late in the year, but you largely fill your way in 09 with eight games. It's not until the next year that you really make your mark in 2010. 33 goals, 19 games. It must have been an exhilarating year for you, knowing that you you belonged at the top level. Yeah, definitely. And, and getting a full pre-season, a full AFL pre-season mm. on my belt was a bit of a shock to the system, to be honest. It was it was pretty hard work and, um, and that... 
that took its toll with the last game or the last few games of the year. I had a stress reaction in my foot, which eventually broke in, in the final round of the season against Carlton. So I realised how hard it was to, to be up for a full season of AFL, but I loved every minute of it. And um, yeah, had some had some good games through that year. I think I kicked six against Eagles in one game. And I was hoping I, you'd bring I, that up. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. The only thing was Aaron, big Aramie mate stole uh, stole the Ross Glendening off me. I got second. So yeah, but it was um, yeah, really good season. I enjoyed it. Oh, the Eagles and the Derbies. Uh, 2011, the following year, it ends with the ball in your hands. A 55 metre set shot on the boundary with your mob down by two points. What happened next from your point of view? I th- I, I, first off, I didn't think I'd be able to kick that far to begin with. And so I, I wound up and I gave it everything I had. And it you went like the drop said, punt, though. I did because I, I, th- I thought it couldn't look any worse if I did a Tory and it came off the side of my boot <laughs> and I would have looked like an idiot. So I thought I'll go the standard set shot. I, 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 I could kick 50, 55 and, you know, with the, after playing a full game might be a stretch. But I got the distance, but it faded just on the line and hit the post. So it was a um, yeah, it was it was so close, but so far at the same time. You won goal of the year that year, though, when you waxed with Matty Pavlich against the Cats at Subiaco Oval. You had a good relationship with the Cats over the journey. We'll come back to them a little bit later on. But what did you get for the goal of the year back in 2011? Well, I always thought goal and mark of the year. You got a car, but it's not the, <laughs> not the way anymore. I got a. I, I shouldn't complain. I got a big. Um, Home cinema package, I suppose. Oh, it's nice. a big, big telly and surround sound, and all that. So, it's, uh, yeah, still pretty cool. So that was the 2011, the goal of the year. Probably should have won it against the Cats three years later when you turned Jared Rivers inside out a couple of times at, at the same Grand Subiaco. I reckon you were stiff there. I think Matty White got you with a beauty from memory from Port Adelaide. I, yeah, I, I agree. I thought that <laughs> one was better than the one I actually won it with. But, yeah, that was... Um, I don't know. Sometimes you, when you get out in space and you know there's only one person in front of you, you, you just think, oh, I think... BT actually said, I think I've got this bloke covered. So I just I just do what I needed to do, got around him, and I knew if I just got it straight, it would have skidded through because it was pretty dewy that night. So, no, it was um, exciting. Funny thing was that that goal, I turned around and I was celebrating. I gave Tenai Mazungu a big high five, and I did it that hard, I started cramping in my pecs. I had to get... <laughs> Get off the ground, get the physios to work through my pecs and a high five too hard. <laughs> I've never heard of a cramped pec due to an overzealous high five. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Harvey was unexpectedly, at least from the outside looking in, very unexpectedly sacked in September of 2011 after the Dockers missed the finals. Was there sympathy for halves from the playing group? Yeah, absolutely. We we all got on with halves really well and, um, and, and rated him as a coach. He... He was very, I suppose you'd say he's a bit of old, an old school coach. Um, he he really pumped the players up and and um, and emotionally driven got got us got us up and about for a game. But sometimes that I don't think that would get you to to a, through a full season to play finals and win a premiership. And um, when he but when he got sacked, there was a you know a bit of anger, I suppose. I, he, they've sacked me, mate, and um, what's going to happen now? And mm. then Ross Lyon came across and. Um, yeah, he was just he was a, a lot a lot different half. Very very positional orientated, very defensive orientated, and um, yeah, re- really took us forward quickly though with what he brought to the table. Jeez, it would have been high drama in Perth at the time because it was on the same night that Halves was sacked that Ross Lyon resigned as coach of St Kilda out of the blue, and he signed a four year deal to coach your Dockers. What what was that first meeting like between the players and Ross? Um, to be honest, it was it was it was a bit. Awkward, I suppose. Ross came over, was 
a different you know different coach different different philosophies on how he goes about it and um it took a while more so the words he was using in these meetings it's like <laughs> what what does that mean i had no idea some of the some of the stuff he was coming out with and me and Aaron would look at each other and get a dictionary out sometimes and think, what is that word? But then <laughs> then it all started to click about probably eight or nine games into 2012. Everything started to click. His game plan clicked. Mm. What he wanted to bring to the game clicked. And we become a really, really hard team to play against and went on to play finals that year and into a grand final the following year. Indeed you did. Um, and we'll come back to Ross Lyon there a little bit later on in the show because you formed a very special relationship with him. But with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. After this break, we'll chat about Hayden's famous run-in with the Geelong defender, Matthew Scarlett. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former Dockers goal shark Hayden Ballantyne. Well, Hayden, by 2012, your papers were pretty much marked as a player. You were the player Fremantle fans loved and the player that other fans loved to hate. But I got the impression you loved every minute of it. Yeah, absolutely. If I wasn't getting jeered and booed by the opposition crowd, clearly I wasn't doing my job well. So I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed provoking them, I suppose. It um, really got me up and about and enjoyed getting stuck into the opposition players. So, um, you know, I'm not going to apologise for anything I did because I was out there to win a game of footy. Did it come naturally to, to play the um, the so-called villain on the field? Did that come naturally to you or is it something that you really had to had to work on? Um. Uh, it didn't come naturally, but it wasn't something I had to work on. Like it just, once I realised, you know, it's a nasty game sometimes, and and that came from my last game of two thousand and nine against Geelong down at the Cattery. Um, Maddie Scarlett stuck his knee into Pav really hard and in a marking contest, and and had a few words afterwards, and I and I was dirty on myself. I didn't go over and remonstrate with him. I was, mm. I was real dirty, like normally I, sh- I normally would, and get stuck into him for. Know, giving it to my captain, but um, but from that game on, I thought, you know what? If that's what it takes, because they won the flag that year, and I thought, if that's what it takes to win a flag, I'm going to be the nastiest bloke out in the field every game. And um, from then on, I, I there was no prisoners. I just went as hard as I could at their best opposition defenders, and um, yeah, there was nothing. Nothing I, w- I wouldn't have done to win a game of footy. Well, the real flashpoint that you allude to came in the uh, season open around one twenty twelve. You ended up getting a two-week ban for a, a hit on Paul Chapman. And in somewhat in retaliation, Matty Scarlett punches you in the face after a goal and gets the three weeks. Mazangu kicks the goal. The advantage is paid and the Dockers get one. Oh, yeah, that's Scarlo has just jumped. Aiden Ballantyne. So you heard the umpire. Let's have a look at it. Oh, jeez. Reported for strike. Oh, got him with a quick left hook. That's a little left jab to the head. That's what Valentine does. And Scarlo's got a fuse that can blow at times. Cameron Legg will tell us about it. Very surprised by Matthew Scarlett there, though, boys. He usually doesn't carry on with any of that nonsense. Hayden Valentine sucks the boys in against Scotty. will be fuming. Valentine lines up for goal. Kick around the goal. He's got it. They get the two out of it here. They've kicked three in a row and it's on. They come at Chapman here now. It is on here. 
That was a spiteful night, wasn't it? I imagine you, this gets raised with you quite often. Oh, pretty much every interview I do, this gets raised. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, that Paul Chapman, he was our target player for that game. Uh, Ryan Crowley was the tagger at the time. And um, Chapman was out. Like He was, he had a fifth, good 15, 20 metres on Crowley. So I thought, well, I've got to stop this bloke. So I've come off my line and, and um, put a, laid a good bump on him. And he obviously didn't see me coming because he was pretty winded. And, um, yeah, I got a few weeks for that, but I don't know what quarter it was. Um, one of our young blokes, first-year players, um, ran down Matty Scarlett, got him holding the ball, and mm. he and we kicked a goal. So I thought, you know, he he was the best defender at the time in the AFL, I think. So I just went and gave him a few choice words, saying, see, six all Australians count for not much, and not in those words, but count for not much at the moment, and um, <laughs> how do you feel? And he just laid one on my chin. Jeez. You didn't, yep. you didn't anticipate that was going to happen, surely? Not really. Like, <laughs> I thought he was going to have a go at me, but not a. Uh, it really got got to him pretty quick, and he just yeah cracked it. I suppose the Geelong coach Chris Scott, who was actually obviously an assistant coach at Fremantle and with you a couple of years earlier, even he had a few words to say to you on the night as well at halftime. Yeah, he did. He's, he. I won't say what he said, but I just said, "What do you mean, Scotty? You taught me everything I know." And he, <laughs> he actually had a bit of a giggle after those words he said after that, because of that. So. Me and Scotty had a pretty good relationship as well. He he messaged me after pretty much every game we played against Geelong. He'd messaged me and um and and then we, he was the assistant coach for the all uh, the international rules game in 2015. Mm. So he um yeah we've got a good relationship with Scotty. What I love though, um, Ballas, is last year. So seven years later, your little brother Mitchell organises for Matty Scarlett <laughs> to send you a, a present for your 31st birthday, and it's a Scarlett sends over a framed Geelong jumper with some special messaging on it. Yeah, the messaging was all um, Scarlett's highlights, and it was you know six All Australians, um, Geelong Legends team, three premierships, and and punching you in the face. So that was his uh, career highlights. He reckons. <laughs> I love that. At the bottom, at the bottom, it said would have loved would have loved playing with you as well. So that was a bit of a nice sentiment. The oh. funny story about that actually is yeah. Mitchell, my little brother. He um, <laughs> he rang up the Geelong Footy Club saying, you know, I'm Hayden's brother. Can um, I want to get a jersey signed for him for his birthday. Mm. I said, oh, yeah, that might be something Matty would be interested in. So about two weeks later, Scarlo's rang my brother Mitchell and said, oh, g'day, mate, it's Matty Scarlet here. I heard you want a jumper. And my little brother didn't believe him, started asking questions. Oh, how many games did you play? How, <laughs> how many of these? Just to try and confirm it was Matty Scarlett. <laughs> a credit check. Uh, so he made, it, he made it difficult for himself. A credit check. I love it. You, got, you can never be too careful, can you? Um, and Ross Lyon once said he spoke to you about milking free kicks, but he'd also said in other interviews that he could live with any suspension that you caught because he liked your aggression and your tenacity. I mean, was it a feeling out period between the two of you? And, and did you feel that he softened in this area? Um, I think he liked me playing on the edge because he knew that's what got the best out of myself. And mm. um, there's going to be, you know, when you're going as hard as you can for a full game, sometimes you're going to you're going to clip someone high as long as there's no, you know, as long as you don't punch someone for for no reason. He said there's going to be, you know, times you flare up, and he wants that. It's a bit like Toby Green at the moment. I think he's unfairly targeted um, because because he does. He plays with that flair and that passion that you want in your team in your teammates. But um, I think Ross was Ross was happy with it to a degree as long as it, I didn't overstep the mark. I think it was more the fair hierarchy, the board. The board brought in all these stupid rules about if you get reported or suspended, you get fined and all this. And I just thought, you know what, it's probably not worth it anymore, is it? 
Yeah, right, and add, an added sanction on top of the suspension. On top, yeah. So I just thought, you know, if you're not going to back me in, then I won't do what I normally do. At least the bank balance might have copped a hit. Yeah, that's right. I've got, I've got horses to pay for. And I, can't, I, need, <laughs> I need everything I can get. Last one on this. Was there, you mentioned Toby Green. I mean, was there a method to it in terms of when you did it and who you did it to? Or were there particular players that you knew that it worked against better than others? Or was it just completely random and on instinct? No, there was definitely players you would target. And, you know, it's, it's the guys who, who you know, they're, they're going to shank a footy. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And you get stuck into them straight away and you, you know, you grill them straight away. It just rattles them. They just lose the plot. And you, you tend, if you can milk a free kick every second game, that's, that's another 10 goals for the, for the year. So mm. I used to milk it for all it was worth and make sure they knew whenever they stuffed up. We're talking to Hayden Ballantyne on This Is Your Sporting Life thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly to get Hayden's memories of playing uh, in the grand final, the improvement under Ross Lyon, and sadly some tragedy in his life. Back with more after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And they're away. Ballantyne, bounce through the midfield. Pavlich, half forward. Taylor, big fist. Back to Ballantyne. Back to Pavlich. Can he kick this one? Handballs it back to Look at Ballantyne. Will he take him on? He looks at Rivers and he says, you're a little old. I'm young and I'm sneaky. Around one. Ames lets it rip. Oh, Ballantyne. He just looked at him and he said, I have got you covered, Jared. You are not the same that I am. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Former Fremantle star and All-Australian Hayden Ballantyne is our guest today. Well, Hayden, the improvement under Ross Lyon is immediate. You make a semi-final in his first year in 2012, but you go all the way to the grand final in 2013, and it's against Hawthorne at the MCG. Yeah, uh, I think I think our attacking style of play at Freo, you know, to up until 2012, was very good. Like we could kick goals, we could get big, big scores, but our defensive side of of the game wasn't as wasn't a strength. And I think that is what Ross focused on a lot was defend first and turn your defence into attack. And once once we clicked, like I said, around eight or nine, I can't remember what it was. Something just clicked, and it was just like bang, here we go. And we we just became a powerhouse to play against. You know, teams would fear playing against the Dockers because you couldn't score. And if you turned it over, you better be able to defend well because we're going to go up there real quick and get your goal. So mm. it was um, it was an absolute pleasure to play with the guys like Matty Pavlich, um, Luke McFarlane, Aaron Sanderlands, um, Paul Paul Duffield. He was he was a very crucial role because not only – he defending defending wasn't his number one key. He he would be the one that would set us up from the half-back line. He'd run off, he'd hit targets, and, yeah, playing with those type of guys was an absolute pleasure, and um, we all just moved on a string and knew what each one of us was going to do. It's what you dream of. What was the grand final like? What was the week like, the grand final parade coming over where obviously the majority of the support is for the team you're playing against? What are your memories of grand final week and the game itself, 2013? Um. 
I didn't. I didn't. The, all the build up and all that, I didn't really enjoy too much. I suppose I just wanted to get. I want. I wanted to focus on the game, get there, and just do what I normally do, just go and play. And um, the build up wasn't something I really wanted to do, but we were forced to do it, I suppose. And um, and then, but now that I think back of it, how cool it was, you know, driving down that street with all the all the fans and how many how many purple jumpers and hats and beanies there were. It was just amazing to see the crowd over there and the Purple Army coming to cheer us on. And, um, yeah, it was something I'll never forget. And, unfortunately, it was something I never got to do again. Yeah, well, unfortunately, on the day itself as well, your Dockers were wasteful. I think you had one goal six at half time. Ultimately, you go down by 15 points, and you personally don't have one of your better days. Did it take you some time to process that afternoon and move on? No, nah, not at all. I, I knew, I, to be honest, I played how I wanted to play. Mm. I just didn't execute on the day. I, I, I had four set. I had four shots on goal um, for two points. One out, one didn't make the distance, and one was out of bounds. So it was just execution really let me down. I, and and same for a couple of other blokes who didn't who didn't execute when they were in front of the goals. And um, it wasn't an effort thing. It wasn't it wasn't a, a, a mental thing. It was just. On the day, we just didn't execute what we were meant to do, and that was kick goals, goals win games. So I, I left the ground bitterly, bitterly disappointed and upset, but I didn't regret what I did because I did give myself the best opportunities to kick goals and, and do my job, and so did, I think, every other player on the, on the ground. There was a lot said in the post-match about the wind that day. I mean, was that a, a legitimate thing or was it a, a cop-out? It was, but both both teams had to play in it, so that's mm. it's it's not really a cop out. It was, if it's a cop out, it's a cop out for both teams, and they were the team. They were fifteen points in front, so that's not really an excuse. I wouldn't have thought. I think the one excuse, I, it's not really an excuse. It's more um, how my routine got interrupted. I suppose me and Michael Walters will go out before every game, and we'd have twenty, thirty shots on goal, and we weren't allowed to do that because of all the all the all the garbage that goes on pre-game entertainment, which is great for the fans and that, but when we're trying to prepare for the biggest games of our lives, we want to do our normal routine. So yeah. that was interrupted to some degree, I suppose. How early before a game would the two of you go out there? Oh, as soon as we're ready. As soon as we got yeah. our strapping done, um, done our meeting, we're, we're out there. We're out there. We would have 20 set shots, 10 or 15 snaps, and just kick to it. We had a really good connection, me and Michael Walters. We kind of... You know, without looking, we knew where we we're going to be each each week, and um, we played some really good footy together. And um, yeah, that connection built into a strong friendship too. In the twilight of your career, Hayden, how close were you to crossing over to the enemy and becoming a West Coast player? Yeah, very close. To be honest, there was a there was a, a contract on the table with a few um, with a few. Uh, I'll just, few things that needed to go the right way for that to come into place, but um, there was something offered, um, and it was something that I thought about just just to extend my career and and to see what it was like on the other side of the fence, I suppose. But um, I'm, I definitely don't regret my decision to stay at Freer because I became a life member and um, got to play out my career as a as a one club player at a, at a club that I love. Did you agonise over the decision, and ultimately, why did you not sign with West Coast? Absolutely, absolutely agonise. It was, it was, you know, something I didn't want to do. But um, I think the life membership key came into it. Getting life membership at a club, playing as a one club player, um, 
and ultimately um, the West Coast had a few few areas in their contract that needed to go right, and I don't think it went right for them. So that's the ultimate reason why it didn't go through. You probably would have been ostracised by your own family as well if you had signed. Uh, yes and no. Like my family were originally West Coast supporters, so they would have had to jump ship twice in, in <laughs> one career. So it would have been quite funny, actually. Just on family, oh, very sadly, you've had tragedy in your life relatively recently too. Your brother Brendan was killed in, in 2018. He was hit by a car driven by uh, Sean Milne, who was a pizza delivery driver and uh, testified in court that he was distracted by the GPS on his phone. I'm, it doesn't really matter when it was. I, I can't imagine any amount of time can, can soften this. No, absolutely not, and it's um, it's been devastating for the entire family, really, particularly my dad, who, um, you know, he's a very, very loving type of guy. Not that he shows it very often, but you can just tell um, how much he loves his kids. So it was, yeah, it was probably the most difficult stage of my life and mm. most of the family's life as well. And um, yeah, I suppose you'd say we felt let down by by the system and um, the penalties that were imposed and. And how the system went about it, but there's not a whole lot we can do. Or we're pushing for if this does happen again, that um, families aren't treated and pushed in the directions we were pushed. Yeah, the driver was recently given a seventh uh, seven month um, sentence. And when things like this happen, I imagine you always go back to where you were when you found out. I mean, um, take us through that: where you were, who called you, and and how it all sort of played out. Yeah, I was asleep on the couch, actually. It was grand final night, 2018. Um, Brendan was at his mate's place watching the grand final. And, um, and uh, yeah, he was his partner was 500 metres up the road coming to pick him up. He was just walking up to the car and when he got hit. So it was um, yeah, just a devastating and tragic circumstances that I think could have been prevented if that person was doing the right thing. But um, I was on the couch asleep and... I, um, the call woke me up. I didn't get the call first time. And then, um, it was dad and I, I called back and he was hysterical as you could imagine. And, um, mm. yeah, that's how I found out. Oh, you can't even imagine. Um, more positive thoughts though, Hayden. Aaron Sanderlands, you mentioned him earlier. He's 211 centimetres and you're 174 centimetres yourself. But the pair of you form a really close bond, don't you? Almost from when you first arrived at the club to when you both left at the same time. Yeah, we... We, we, I don't know why, but we just hit it off straight away. I think we're on the on the same wavelength. I suppose we we're both pretty chilled out guys. We work hard. We love a beer, and um, where we just hit it off straight away. And um, I came into the club as a pretty cocky, confident type of guy, and he brought me into line quite quickly. To be honest, uh, a few <laughs> a few um, social gatherings we had, he brought me back back to earth very quickly. So he's um yeah. I owe a fair bit to him, I suppose, throughout my career because he always had the work ethic. I, I was more about needing to control myself when I was working. I'd sometimes overdo it and he would he would pull me back and say, oh, I think you should be doing it this way. And I'd listen to him sometimes and all the time. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the great sights last year was he cheered you off, obviously, um, off Optus Stadium after you both played your last games in purple. I mean, that relationship I speak of blossoming early in the piece, it started on your first Mad Monday, didn't it? Yeah. I don't know if it was, it was Mad Monday or we had like a boat trip. I think it was the boat trip for Christmas. So I was, right. I, he said, um, come here, you're under my wing. Yeah, and if you try and go toe-to-toe with, on the beers with Aaron, it doesn't turn out well for anyone. So I was, uh, <laughs> I was in, a, in a world of hurt the next day. But, yeah, getting chaired off by him was, was not planned. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. that. And um, 
He said, get on my shoulders. I said, no. He said, get on my shoulders. Really angry. So I said, all right. You do that. Don't argue twice. <laughs> you made it look he, easy getting up there yeah, anyway. Yeah. And he, and he, he uh, carried me off. And some of the the photos that are um, that are of that, they actually are. Now, look at them now. They're, they're pretty special to be um, going off with one of my best mates. So, and walking around with the kids, it was yeah, really something special. Oh, 100%. Now, you're only 32, and I think you're pretty keen to keep playing. Now, did you sign for Peel Thunder to make your return to the Waffle this year? Obviously, there's a lot going on, but I think the Waffle's about to resume, isn't it? Yeah, next weekend, the 18th, uh, is the round one for the Waffle. So I did most of pre-season, um, and, yeah, feeling really good, actually, which is... I probably feel better this year than I did last year because there is a, a little bit less of the workload. Um, I'm probably not as fit, but I'm I'm not sore. So I think I should should get through the eight-game season quite easily. Oh, fantastic. Eight games, it's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and shorter quarters too. How good. <laughs> hey, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you were a supremely talented game-breaker. You had a tremendous work ethic. That could not be faulted. And while many will remember you as the so-called serial pest, the ultimate compliment is that they all would have loved to have you in their team. You're a credit to your side and yourself, and it was certainly a gutsy AFL career. Thanks so much for joining us today. Beauty, no worries. Thank you. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you this time next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.